0: I need my white police officers not to be racist. I don't need to change the demographic. The society had had welcomed me into this country, right? I'm unsure as to where, where I'm supposed to have been welcomed from. Secret courts. Yeah, we have secret courts here in the UK. Like, you can't see the evidence against you. The conspiracy theory, yeah. I was like, why are you asking me that question? Like, yeah. you know, I said, it's because I'm Muslim. Specifically said in court, that we had no reason to suspect it. No. Yeah, yeah, the, the police officer said in court. You don't take a knife and stab somebody nine inches, pull it back six inches and call, call it progress. You know, Alhamdulillah, over the course of the year, I managed to read 170 books. What? Uh, you, uh-huh. I've met one of those journalists before in real life, I speak English at a level that he will never achieve in his life. Both okay? selector. So when you ask questions like that it's a weird way of kind of like exceptionalizing me. You know I think that's quite problematic and maybe you should think a little bit about yourself when you ask questions like that.
1: Asalaamu alaikum guys. Welcome to another episode of Declassified. All around me are familiar faces. What a place. I came across this in my files. I keep files on them. I've gone a bit high class now and cut out the riffraff, the Umarisas and the Dili Husseins, and we've gone a bit, we've gone a bit upmarket. We have today a human rights lawyer, co-director at CAGE. He's done appearances on BBC Channel 4. He's done a master's. He's done a master's. He's currently pursuing a PhD.
0: <laughs> finished.
1: Oh, you've done it? Smashed it, mashallah. <laughs> He's a researcher and advisor on counter-terrorism practices He's the author of this wonderful book And most importantly, he's voluntarily bold Asim, pleasure bro Assalamu Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah It's really nice to meet Ali Dawah finally <laughs> No, Ali Dawah, he's, he's the, the Turkish bloke here yeah. I'm, I'm not Ali Dawah Oh,
0: yeah, I kind of made time for Ali Dawah
1: <laughs> <laughs> Alhamdulillah How long have we tried to get this podcast? Yeah,
0: it's been a couple of months, yeah
1: I want to put this out there bro Honestly, he, the brother did not suggest for me to buy the book Yeah, I literally said, look we're gonna do the interview It would be nice to get, you know, a, a free copy of the book He didn't hesitate, he sent it to me And I felt it would only make sense for me to read the whole thing And bro, I, I have to say It's blown me away. Uh, There's so much I've learned from you. You mean that in a non terrorist way? I mean that in the most non terrorist, uh, I'm sorry, MI6, (laughs) MI5 sort of way. Just clarify. And there's big words in here that were a big problem for you, bro. Uh, And the fact is, on your front cover, you've got a a former CIA officer to say that your book is thought provoking. Uh, I would definitely urge you to buy it. This is a must. Yeah, because the brother's been working in this field for how long now? Uh, 16 years. 16 years worth of experience that's gone into this book. It's your second book, isn't it?
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
1: Honestly, I feel like I've, I've sat with you for a week. Mm-hmm. That, that's the beauty, I think, that, that books have. We're going to start off, bro. Mm-hmm. Very simply. What do you do day to day? And why do you do it?
0: As you mentioned, I'm I'm the research director of uh, your advocacy group, CAGE. What we do is that we help individuals um, and communities understand um, the impact of this thing known as the global war on terror, which basically means that after 9-11, countries around the world decided that they were worried about the threat of terrorism, particularly from Muslims. And so they instituted... Or put into effect policies and legislation that largely impacted Muslim communities in a specific way. So we started off trying to highlight that, but then moved into actually helping the individuals who are suffering at the hard end of these things. So we do a lot of casework in the office too. Uh, and what of, do you mean
1: by casework?
0: So somebody will come to us and they'll say, you know, I was going through Heathrow Airport and I got stopped and they're asking me all these weird questions about you know, what my views on Palestine are and, and so on and so forth And so then we help that individual first understand what they've been through but then also to see if there's any way that we can help to challenge the, the you know, the, what they've experienced
1: What would you say to someone that says, I don't need to worry about this because
0: I'm a law-abiding Muslim? Yeah,
1: he just minds his own business, and why would I risk getting my door kicked in and getting into this stuff where I can just just live my life?
0: Well, I think the important thing to remember is that the vast majority of people uh, who are arrested, who are um, you know kind of questioned by the police, who are being harassed by MI five, who are getting stopped at airports, um, none of them are terrorists. In the grand scheme of things, like maybe they might find one person here mm. or another person there, but the fifty thousand people that were getting stopped at Heathrow or Gatwick as they're flying in and out, largely Muslim. Fifty
1: thousand. Yeah,
0: per year. Um, it's the numbers have reduced slightly, but that's also because they changed the way that they uh register who's being stopped so if you get stopped less than 15 minutes they don't record it anymore no way so, so now they've kind of, they've fudged it? the statistics a little bit right oh. but yeah it used to be as much as like 50, Who's 000, right? ah, the, yeah i mean the the border agency right oh. so the home office I thought it was the Illuminati. no i'm not sure, so sure about that but <laughs> okay. at the right now we can deal with the border agency <laughs> at least anyway right yeah, let's start <laughs> slowly guys yeah, <laughs> yeah. calm down <laughs> this is part of a process of criminalization right because they keep that data then on you as well but why should they? Because they themselves say that there's no reason to suspect the person. It's just purely a profiling exercise. Even when they stopped my colleague, mohammed Rabbani, uh, a couple of years ago, they specifically said in court that we had no reason to suspect him. No. Yeah, yeah. The, the police officer said in court that we had no reason to suspect him for anything. We just stopped him.
1: And that was what was the response to that of of the people that were there? Well, I think most people just the lawyers.
0: I think most people accept it, right? Because I think wider society is willing for us to pay the price for them to feel safe, right? Because but they don't think when you say us, as in the Muslim community, right? Because largely we're the ones who are being impacted and affected by these policies, right?
1: Because back in the days, I used to see people and I used to be like, yeah, come on, don't take it too hard. But when you look into this stuff, bro, it affects you, right? And, and it's difficult, and, and you, you can't unsee it. You right. Can't, you can't unlive it. <laughs> yeah. You're with the family. Yeah. They want to go out or whatnot. You're going out, but your mind is... It's, right. It's right. still there.
0: Right. It's, I think it's the thing that probably my um, my wife says to me most often, which is, you're here, but you're not here. Right? Yeah, bro, I get right. that a lot. Yeah. I and mean, because, obviously, it's, it's difficult. You can't... There's no off button. Yeah. Right. And actually, even somebody said it to me not too long ago. When we were at a wedding, and uh, we were having a conversation about movies. And then I was giving an analysis of certain problems with a certain movie. He goes, bro, don't you ever just switch off? Switch I off. was like, I don't, ha- I don't have the capacity to switch off because you know my life is so much lived in kind of the realm of other people suffering, right? Or not other people suffering, even other people surviving right? They're survivors, they're heroes. And, you know, it's, it's their stories of really kind of moving beyond such difficult things that helps you just kind of like, just sit back a second and just say, okay, right. Like, you know, that hardship hasn't come into my life. You know, it hasn't come into my life uh, in in a way that um, I see around me all the time. And so like, shouldn't I be a little bit, you know, kind of humble towards that? I'm sitting there interviewing this brother who's held in solitary confinement for 13 years of his life, mm. right? And, you know, we're talking and talking and talking and we're talking about hardship, right? And he said, you know, subhanAllah, sometimes... And we're talking wow. about the Quran in, in and his time in prison, like reading the Quran. And uh, he says, you know, sometimes I think to myself that I look at the brothers who were in Guantanamo and, you know, the people who went through the CIA torture program and I read their stories. And I think to myself... How much of a weak Muslim must I be that Allah subhanahu wa sought to test me, but not test me with the kind of torture that they went through? Mm-hmm. And I actually broke down. I was just like, I can't take this. 13 years in solitary confinement is no joke. One week in solitary confinement is no joke. I know people who have literally kind of, you know, gone to the very brink of breaking down just within a few days of being held indefinite in, kind of incommunicado from the rest of the world you know i always say to people i would you know i'd be happy to be detained most places in the world except for the u.s and and i'm not even talking about guantanamo here i'm talking about the u.s mainland their prison system is so horrific it's so abusive that you know i, I don't understand how anybody could even survive being there for a single night
1: now well it's the u.s is the stars and stripes the land of the free that could, that, surely that can't be the case What, what, would, be your, what would be your evidence? Check
0: out um, Arizona Prison Rodeo on YouTube That
1: sounds like one of those gourmet burger places <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, I wish it was man It's uh, a yearly um, So I've never
1: heard that before
0: uh, Yeah, most people haven't It's a yearly rodeo that takes place So 20,000 people, they buy tickets for this, um, for this show and it's basically um games that have been constructed for the prisoners whereby the prisoners can get certain um privileges by taking no. part yeah yeah yeah
1: Bro, this is something from a movie so
0: so for example one of the games that they play literally if you went onto youtube now you could find probably the latest arizona oh rodeo my show God. they will have a table this one's called prison poker they have a table with four prisoners around the table They all mock playing cards with one another. The winner is the last person who's still in his seat after they've released a bull into the pen that's throwing them up in the air. And you've got 20,000 people cheering their heads off and getting really excited about it and whatever. And it's just, it's abusive. It's harmful. It's very gladiatorial. Yeah, um, that's
1: what I was going to say. Gladiator.
0: Yeah, yeah basically. That's basically. Right. And people say, "Oh, well the prisoners have a choice about getting involved, right?" Do they? But yeah, well that's the thing. Like, you know, is it really a choice when, you know, we know that within the prison system in America that prison wardens effectively have life and death like control over the prisoners There, they have 101 ways to to coerce them or induce them into doing things right so when you have a system like that then of course that whole idea the whole concept of of personal choice kind of vanishes a little bit
1: bro in your book you describe islamophobia as racism Mm -hmm. Uh, i've always thought that islamophobia was discriminatory i didn't think that it could be put in the category of racism
0: so usually people do associate um racism with like the superficial right so like how people look what the ethnicity is so on and so forth right but let's think of racism as a structure yeah that's more important in order to understand it because you and i can immediately understand when somebody hurls abuse at a person in the street gets up in their face and starts shouting you know kind of racial abuse at them or whatever that that's a form of racism but, you know, what we also need to understand that racism, when we think about it structurally, also applies when a judge gives a longer sentence or when the police stop a person in the street because they think he looks suspicious because of a preconceived profile that they have in their head mm. about what that person looks like, right? From from your interviews um, and, and your book as
1: well, one thing that, that I really, it was a breath of fresh air was you don't go with whatever said to you uh in the sense that Mm -hmm. if if they say something you're going to question it you question words you question definitions if uh if if something's put out there you're going to track it down Mm. the the example that's detailed in your book is uh, schedule seven how you guys kind of follow um the documents all the way to the science that's behind it and then you dissect that Mm -hmm. and it 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 caused loads of experts to look into it right and so my my question is that have you found this to be effective and, and and successful or and would you recommend others to do it as well
0: so knowledge is power Right. Um, in my the conclusion to my book, I, I I talk about kind of three sites of disobedience that I think we should have, mm-hmm. and one of the the areas that I think we should be disobedient in is uh, is in the way that knowledge is constructed to specifically harm us. Right, because knowledge is not value neutral. It can be something that is that can be for good, and it can also be for evil as well. So when somebody, for example, and we've had some of these discussions already, says that Muslims are a threat to Western civilization or Western society, you have to then break down the numbers. You have to look, okay, fine, you say that we're a threat, but based on what? So turning back to the Professor Mark Sageman and his work, his statistical work on this, right? What does he find? He finds that the threat that's posed by Muslims in the West, which he includes as Australasia, um, Uh, Western Europe and North America, right? And Canada. He says that if we take the whole of the Muslim population from these countries combined, the threat amounts to one Muslim per year, okay? Out of the entire population of Muslims, which he puts at around, uh, I think, 25 million or something like that. So he says that ultimately, in order to find the one terrorist per year with all of these laws... You have to make uh, an unfortunate victim uh, something like 250,000 people a year, wrongfully. Mm. And his conclusion is that is an unacceptable margin of error by any stretch of the imagination, that that number of people have to come under decision, have to be placed on a database, have to be stopped at a port, you know have to have all of these things done to them in order for your overly excessive laws. To achieve the thing that they're trying to achieve right and that's not going to be conducive to building a, a more you know kind of cohesive society so i think that's that's why it's so important that when people say stuff like well there is a threat for muslims right it's just like well what do you mean by threat yeah like do you feel like your your life is at risk right now by being in proximity to one two three ten muslims mm. right give us a number that you know as a matter of fact is causing your life to be at risk right now because the reality is is that the numbers are, are are so small because we take care of business in our own house right the reason why the numbers are small is because guess what we are still a community that has very very strong ideas around obedience around um you know kind of sticking together about family structures around mm. community structures
1: if we're talking realistically Right. Yeah, then there's, there's a lot that we can say. For example, every Muslim is very close with the whole Palestine and Israel issue. But when you're able to say, look, this is the problem that we have. What's the problem that you have? Well, why is the UK selling arms to Israel? For example, in 2015 to 2017, they gave about £320 million Worth of Mm -hmm. arms to Israel Why is it that it's currently At war with eight countries Killing people Using drones like you mentioned But this drone facility Many people don't even know Is in Menwith Hill It's in Yorkshire isn't it Yorkshire tea Yorkshire pudding Yorkshire drones (laughs) Exactly. Isn't it? Many people don't know. I didn't know. Yeah. I, I had to get it from David. I saw it in David Southwell's book. Mm-hmm. And then I looked into it. And then Guardian articles started popping up. And they look really nice with the little cute golf balls and stuff. And also the fact that they, you know, they share data with five other nations. The, the Five Eyes. um And countries are being bombed from this country. And this is what... They fail to understand that when you do all of this sort of stuff, it's like Jeremiah Wright when you said Americans' chickens are coming home to roost. Right. But what um, what, what if someone's getting into this new? Because chances are, mm-hmm. some of the people watching they're gonna be like, "Damn, I didn't know this stuff."
0: So I have a blog called The Bookslamist, uh, where you know myself and a few others, um, I co-edit it with uh, Dr. Sadia Habib. Um, so, yeah, what we do is that we, we constantly reflect on the books that we read and we put up short either reflections or longer reviews of, of each book. And nearly all of these books focus on kind of social justice issues, whether they're Islamic or not. And even if they're like it's a work of fiction, what we're doing is we're trying to reflect uh, on what are the themes in those books that are important for us to think about. Okay. So uh, a good example is Camilla Shamsi's Home Fire, where she talks about things like ISIS. Is that about, fiction? Yeah, it's a fiction book. Um, she talks about ISIS. She talks about counterterrorism legislation in the UK. She talks about a lot of different uh, ideas, but they're very, very well presented throughout the book. So sometimes actually the best way to learn about what's, what's going on in an interesting way isn't even necessarily a nonfiction book. Sometimes fiction does that very well okay. too. To- 2017, right? I took a sabbatical from Cage. I said, I just, you know, I'd been doing the work for about 15 years.
1: Does that mean you got fired, yeah?
0: Yeah, basically. (laughs) They found somebody better to do uh, the job than me, right? Uh, But no, I asked for some time off uh, from Cage's work, although somehow I still ended up being involved. Um, (laughs) Just to sit back and read and reflect. So, you know, alhamdulillah, over the course of the year, I managed to read 170 books. What? Uh, uh What? one seven zero. Yeah, I'm doing. I mean, I, I read. I told you, I read. Masha- right, that's what I do. M- Mashallah. <laughs> what, hundred seventy? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. mad, bro. It's. It was. That's brilliant. It was interesting. You know, it was definitely uh something that opened my mind. Well, I mean, but specifically, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to just engage in in as wide a literature basis that I possibly could just to help think about, well, you know, what have I been doing for the last 15 years of my working life? You know, we're doing all of this work.
1: No wonder, bro, in your book, there's... Um, you have a lot of quotes in there. You've got George Orwell, you got Martin Luther King, you've got Malcolm X. In in essence, reading your book
0: shows the, the kind of diversity in reading that you've done. You've read, read quite a bit. I think what happens uh, a lot of the time is that... Um, you know, and I, I do training sometimes for like Muslim communities, um, different groups, just about reading. And one of the questions I start with, I was just like, what type of books do you do you like reading? And go around the room and everybody says... Comic books. And often... Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I read comic books too. Yeah. Okay. I'm saying probably, probably most Asians. No, no, no. I read, Asians. Uh, you know, I like reading comic books as well. There's a lot you can learn from them. Um but often what times what people say is that I like reading Islamic books. Right. And I understand the sentiment that they're trying to 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 give me, right? Which yeah. is that there are books that are Islamic. you have to read books. the Quran, bro, Yeah, no, but you do. You gotta read the, you, the Quran, you've you gotta read the hadith. You need to read the yeah. Quran every you need to read Quran every single yeah. day, right? In fact once I met Sheikh Jafar Idris and he uh, and you know, his his bachelor's, masters and doctorate all in philosophy. And I and I said to him, I said, like how is it that you, you didn't get so enamored by all this philosophy that you read? He goes, Because, because I made a commitment to myself that every page of theirs that I would read, I would read a page of the Quran, right? So like the Quran tethers you, it, it anchors you to, to Allah, effectively. So sometimes you can read some of this stuff and you think, wow, that's amazing. You read John Locke, you read Montesquieu, you read Tocqueville, all of these like philosophers, right? And you think You read David wow. Williams, yeah. <laughs> yeah, David Williams is great too. <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt, he's a great author, right? Um and and it seems a bit intoxicating what they're saying Because you think, know, okay, that makes sense, right? But then the Quran just makes sense at a completely different level, mm. right? Because it reminds you that actually Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the beings That are talking about this stuff mm. um, But what I try and say is that, look, we're not secularists We don't differentiate knowledge in the sense that oh, well, this is un-Islamic knowledge, right? Knowledge is knowledge And what we do is that it's, it's something that either helps improve us Or something that... We must reject.
1: Now, I get what, you, what you're trying to say. It's it's well, important to understand you, your surroundings.
0: Yeah. So, for du'a especially, right? Like, again, we come back to this whole point of data and knowledge. As a, a as a Day, what's the one thing that you want to know, right? Who's your audience? Like, the Prophet Sassan was an expert at this. Like, he knew and he catered for his audience all the time. Mm. So, that's something that we know is, is an important thing to do. Now, guess what? In the fiction that why does society write they don't just tell you about the world they tell you about what's inside their hearts they tell you about their fears and their loves and their interests and like everything that is like the deepest parts of their minds and they put it all down on paper yeah okay if you don't as a day if you don't see that that is like knowledge that's important for you to read and understand then you're missing out on a lot actually Mm. because you know they reveal themselves they reveal themselves in a way that they wouldn't be willing to reveal themselves if they were talking to you directly wow
1: that's a very unique way of looking at it i mean
0: for me it's like it was the most obvious thing as i was reading this stuff because i was like subhanallah these people really that their innermost frailties the stuff that makes them completely (laughs) fragile and open to you right it's there it's in, the, in it's in these works
1: your 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 thing your thing is humanitarian based Yeah. you you have a certain direction that you're going why is it that any time a muslim goes on there they have to be questioned on fgm they have to be questioned on this quote this thing taken out of context this the, the sort of typical sharia lines that's used to discredit that person bro how how do we knock that down and, what do we do man because that's infuriating
0: to watch yeah, Matt, that, that Matt, Frey, Matt, Matt Frey's interview interviewed me on in Channel 4 News because we were literally talking about humanitarian intervention uh, on that one and there's two people speaking there's a, a woman on the screen and there's myself in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the studio and he says he turns to me and he says would you support caliphate oh my god and I was like why are you asking me that question like yeah. you know I said it's because I'm Muslim that's the, I said, you know, I, I take, you know, uh, you know, I have a big problem with what you're asking because it's Islamophobic. And that really plays back off because you can't, you know, you're not, you know, I'm not being Islamophobic, so on and so forth, just answer the question, whatever. I said, no, I said, the, the point is, is that, you know, the only reason you're asking me that question is because I'm a Muslim. And the reason they ask that question is because they want to discredit everything that you say because, again, it comes back to why <coughs> why I believe Islamophobia is, is is part of racism. Because what we believe, how we think, who we are, for them, taints everything about us then. Right? So if you're somebody who believes completely in the authenticity of the Quran and the sunnah of the Prophet as being the most important things in your life, right? That then taints everything about you. Because you are not somebody who... Um, is willing to put the secular idols that they've put into place as the ultimate sources of authority in, in your life, right? That for them is, is deeply concerning because, you know, you don't take your point of authority from the same place they do, which means that they see you as an outsider now. Okay, oh, well, you can't, you're not permitted to enter this conversation until you have transformed yourself to being exactly what what we want you to be. Mm. Which is why they will expedite the process of granting uh, uh, asylum to a Saudi girl who renounces her religion Mm. and ends up in in, in Canada, right? Over, you know, the millions of other refugees that are out there who are Muslim or non-Muslim who don't bring that same value, okay? Because for them, this is like symbolic.
1: All right, so your book is called Virtue of disobedience. Mm-hmm. Now, the question that I'd like to ask is disobedience against whom or who?
0: Um, whom? Who? Have you, have you decided which mm-hmm. one you want to go? Which one is it? Both are correct. Oh! <laughs> yeah. okay. Whom is, uh, is unfashionable now?
1: Oh, it's very posh, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's seen that way. That's right. So it's kind of almost becoming extinct now, unfortunately. Yeah. So the book, the book comes, uh, it started from a Jummah Khutbah. If you don't mind give me some backstory back about it. Uh, Go
1: ahead.
0: I was sitting in the Jummah Khutbah with my, with, my, uh, uh, with my two older boys. And the imam, he starts talking about obedience to the state. And that as Muslims, we have a duty to be obedient to the state. And I was like, I was fine with this idea, right? I was like, okay, fine. Yeah, I I get that. Like, you know, I got all the arguments about, you know, know, that we have a contract and so on and so forth, right? With uh, whatever land that we live in. And then he went on and he started extending the argument. He goes, even if they oppress you, you have a duty to be obedient towards them, right? And then he extended it even further. He goes, even if the police who are the servants of the state, even if they oppress you, even if they brutalize you, you cannot demonstrate against them because demonstrating against them is kufr, right? Whoa. And at this point, I was losing it, right? But yeah. I don't want to set a bad example to my kids and walk out of the Jummah khutbah. You know, you know it's important that they still understand that there is a, a decorum that, that is required when you are sitting in that, in that moment. So I don't want to give them the the wrong message. In fact, although I watched one brother like walk out, like directly in front of me (laughs) as he was saying this. And I was like, in my heart, I was just like, yes, brother, you go. (laughs) You do that. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. So, but it was the first time that I had left a khutbah and like, I was actually physically shaking a little bit when I was sitting in my car because I was just so upset, not because of what I had heard, because I've heard these arguments before. But I was upset for my kids that they had heard it. And I was particularly upset because of the conversation that I needed to have with them. Which was the first time that I said to them that I imams don't always get it right. That was a really hard conversation for me to have. Because, you know, that relationship is so sacred. It's so important that they understand that our imma uh, are held at a level that, you know, that we've, Revere Yeah So I said to them That look You know What he was saying there About us not demonstrating When you know We're brutalized Or oppressed in some way Okay I said that's not from our faith That's not from what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Taught us I said if that was the case Then he would never have given us The example of Musa alayhi salam In the Quran The ultimate truth speaker You know In front of the greatest tyrant That ever lived mm. You know And that's and that's why that night I went home, and this was at the start of Ramadan. And every single night between al-Layl and Fajr, I would just sit there and like type thoughts to myself about why I'd hurt. It didn't. This book didn't start off as a book. It just started as a series of reflections to myself because I was so angry and so upset. You know, and it was in that year that I took sabbatical, you know it was in the middle of that year that I was really i was engaged in reading all of this information and every single night Alhamdulillah, by the end of Ramadan, I had finished the book which didn't even start off as a book, right It just started so as you,
1: you did this book in Ramadan, yeah
0: yeah 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 the whole book the whole book yeah Alhamdulillah i mean the first the first draft of it obviously took a lot of uh, a lot of edits afterwards, and, and you know Alhamdulillah but it was just was
1: it the quotes and everything. Yeah, like I mean, because I told course, you so I, have da- I, have, I have my yeah.
0: database, don't I? And so when I'm writing, I'm literally just like throwing things into my argument as I'm making it along because I know in the back of my mind the the, the the information that I need. So it's not that difficult a process, alhamdulillah, When I actually sat down to, and re- as I said, I, it it wasn't it wasn't a book when it started. It was just me reflecting on myself, wanting to know better what is it that the Quran says to me. When I'm thinking about all of these injustices that I see And of course because in the Quran In Ramadan you are so steeped in the Quran On a daily basis mm. It almost felt like At every single moment Where I was having a thought About something It happened to be on the very day I was reading those chapters of the Quran Right. So, so even when I was thinking about um, The whole notion of, of racism And where racism comes from I was reading the ayat in the Quran from uh, from Surah Baqarah About the creation of Adam Alayhi salam, Right And the fact that You know Iblis rejects him Because of his superficial existence Which is this clay And Iblis is like I'm better than him Ultimately it's a racist argument Wow You know like that's, that's like the essence of it Right That's mad It's just a purely racist argument Like I'm better than him Look at me Look at him You know how can you compare the two of us Whoa! You know
1: that's the first time I've heard it described As a racist thing
0: Because it comes from arrogance Right yeah. This is arrogant that's But why opinion. is he arrogant He's arrogant Because he believes That his form is superior Yeah And that's why wow. you know, For, for that's all profound, races point. All races come across As what well. They all come across As arrogant superior, Because yeah. they have That superiority complex About it themselves race, yeah, Right Right. Exactly You know. So it all connects And then when you Then when you follow That through You realise that Oh my god Like Actually so much of the harm That's come from this world Has come from that, that same arrogance From that same Ooh. kind of like Superiority that these people Feel that they have because of what Because of something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Gave them in the first place
1: Because mm. they didn't
0: humble themselves to the fact that Allah made me this way and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one Only one who gives us authority The only one who gives us izzah, right? Is him None, not, Nothing by anything virtue of what we have done mm. Because we're just a creation yeah, right. so so ultimately, this conversation started between what I was reading, uh, you know, with all of these other books, and the Quran, and you know, and you know, somebody once said, like, I can't remember which author that if somebody hasn't, uh, if you haven't read the book that you've always wanted to read, then you should write it yourself, right? And it's kind of what ended up happening with this which is i always wanted to read somebody who would talk about racism who would talk about injustice who would talk about oppression that's going on in the wider world you know but do it through the le- lens of the quran do it through the lens of being a muslim yeah. so everything whenever i quote any of the people that i do whether it's from fiction whether it it's from back, non-fiction yeah. or whoever i'm linking it back to the quran in in, 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 in every instance because yeah, i love that it's what anchors us.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you had a very interesting encounter with the Daily Mail. You In your book, you kind of take some valuable lessons out of that. For the people that haven't read your book, what would you say was the stuff that you learnt from your encounter with
0: them? So the Daily Mail, I think the thing that you're particularly referencing is something that they said uh, about me, which is um, that uh, I was... I was thankless um, considering the society had, had welcomed me into this country, right? And the line that I write is that, you know, I'm unsure as to where, where I'm supposed to have been welcomed from. Yeah, right? I love that bit. <laughs> and, 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 and that's because I feel very, very strongly about this, right? Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't separate myself from the rest of society. What happens in society is my problem. You know, we had a conversation about what home means. Yeah, this is home. If ever I'm forced to leave this country, I will be a refugee anywhere else in the world. I won't be going home to anywhere else. I'd have left my home and ended up somewhere that, you know, has has taken me in as a refugee Mm. from my home. Okay, that's very important for me, at least anywhere, just at a personal and very psychological level, like. People have this discussion about whether or not you can be British and Muslim and so on and so forth, right? And for me, that's like, it's, it's, it's a bit of a nonsense argument for me, at least, anyway. Because you put me on a desert island somewhere, I will still find a way of queuing on that island for the things that I want and that, that I need. I will still be as sarcastic as I am. I will still gesticulate and intonate and say words and phrases and use popular culture references that I know from my experience. You know, when they say to me that I'm supposed to be welcome from somewhere, I, I disagree with that for a start. And it's interesting when you see that anybody who stands up to the state, anybody who speaks up against the state, they get the same treatment. So Coloured. Always. Yeah. So Afula Hirsch, the, uh, the black journalist, she's half Jewish, half black. When she wrote some articles that were very critical about um, the state of racism in the UK today, the Daily Mail said about her that, you know, she should be more grateful for being here. When Stormzy criticized Theresa May's government over Grenfell, again, they did this hit piece on him where they said, you you know, he should be more grateful considering his family were welcomed. Into wow. this country Right So it's not just me yeah. Right This is Again That's why like We go back to the whole Islamophobia Racism concept Right yeah. It's actually something That gets deployed Frequently And for me Like literally As I was writing that chapter Okay In the book I came upon The verses In the Quran Where Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala Talks about uh, Musa alayhi salam Being sent to Fir'aun Right And he sent to Fir'aun And and holds Ferran to account and says, like, you know, he says, you know, let the children of Israel grow. You're impressing them, so on and so forth. Pharaoh says, hold on a second. Weren't you the one who grew up in our, in our household? Is this the favor that you now ask of me? Wow. You know, and I thought, it's exactly the same response. Whoa. This big oppression is going on, right? This, this problem, this racism, this tyranny is going on in society. So you highlight that. And what the power structure says is, hold on a second. Why are you talking about that? I welcomed you here. I mm. gave you sanctuary. We feed I you. gave you relief. So don't talk about this stuff when I am responsible, right? When I'm responsible for your safety and your sanctuary and you're being brought up in my land. It's it ironic because the two guys who wrote the piece against me, one had a Polish surname and the other one had an Italian surname. Wow. So it also tells you a little <laughs> bit about their own internal logic, right? About who they see as an outsider versus an insider. I've met one of those journalists before in real life. I speak English at a level that he will never achieve in his life. Both okay. Later. Like, th- th- this is just a reality, right? I'm not saying that people who can't speak English like this aren't. Shots fired, whatever else. Bro. Like, Shots but, fired, bro. But, like, if you want to go there, and if you want to start using markers Whew. that are superficial for how you understand bro. belonging and whatever else then I'm literally eviscerating you on every single metric <sighs> you can think of, right? It's stupid because it doesn't make any sense, right? <sighs> it doesn't make any sense whatsoever that we should use these these kinds of markers to understand who belongs and doesn't. Quite frankly, I think the whole idea of nationalism is stupid anyway. Like, that's just like... And we can go down that route if you want And I talk about it a bit in the book But like the whole notion that some people are more deserving by virtue of the lot like Allah By Allah's decision about where they're born Right, it's like complete insanity
1: You know, from one bold guy to another bold guy Yeah, you got Sajid Javed, yeah <laughs> That walking, you know, catastrophe He's now the Home Secretary of this nation People are happy, the fact that we've got a brown guy that's yeah. in, in parliament But, I don't know bro, I don't mean this in any offensive way possible, but I hope to offend as much as possible, (laughs) which is, he seems like the ultimate definition of a coconut bro, or Uncle Tom, or a whatever you want to call it. Now, and bro, I just, what's your opinion with regards to people like Sajid Javed, who do make it in these positions, are they Uncle Toms, are they coconuts, or...
0: Well, what's the deal with these guys? So I think this comes down to like Ideas around representation, right? Like we're always A lot of people are always talking about representation Like we need more representation of Muslims In certain areas And I'm not necessarily against that, right? Yeah. That that could be a good thing But I don't think that's the solution mm. To everything like Often I get into debates with people And they say, well If we had more Asian and Muslim police officers Then there'd be less institutionalised racism I'm like you guys aren't getting the point. The point is that I need my white police officers not to be racist. I don't need to change the demographic wow. of the okay. police in order to st- you know to stop that from happening. White people should just learn not to be racist. Why open the emphasis on <laughs> us for their racism yeah right yeah, true it's like it's it's such a stupid <laughs> argument for me yeah. in so many ways <laughs> um, and sergeant Dvid- in so many ways is indicative of that because you know. They, 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 you know, I, I, and I, I use the word weaponized specifically. They weaponize his Muslim heritage and background when it suits them to say, well, look, here's a, a somebody with Muslim background who made it, right? And he's come to the thing. Look how open we are and whatever else, right? Yeah, but by the time he got there, he left behind every single semblance, by the time he got there, of, of that Muslim heritage that he had right like he's there's a person who's gone on record to say that the only religion that that is practiced in my household is christianity Whoa. so how is he an example of muslim excellence and muslim representation when the one thing that he know, offers is christianity is is, is 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 crucial to the muslim element yeah. is the islam bit right? yeah
1: if today mm-hmm. because it's very interesting learning law but what people don't understand or fail to understand correct me if i'm wrong which is, if you get stopped as a potential threat under the terrorism legislation,
0: is it true that you technically have no rights? The law itself, as it's constructed under terrorism legislation, is, you know, the only word I, I've got for it is unconscionable. It goes against the conscience of rightly-minded people. The law is illegal. The law is immoral. And that is why we should never be a people that accept scraps you know malcolm x once said you don't take a knife and stab somebody nine inches pull it back six inches and call call it progress whoa okay that is such an important standard by which we should understand how we are affected by this legislation so when they say when tony bear says i want 90 days Detention without charge, pre-charge detention, right? So we can, they can hold you for 90 days in a police station before they've even charged you with a crime, mm. okay? That's what he wanted. People campaigning against it, campaigning against it, right? They managed to get it down to 28 days. Human rights organizations out there, they actually um, patted themselves on the back when they managed to defeat 98 days and, and, and get it down to 28 days because they said that's such a success, at cage we were like that's a complete disaster can mm-hmm. you imagine what happens when you get locked up for 28 days can you imagine what that does to the person i talk about this in the book your life is devastated in 28 yeah. days right it's devastated in seven days tony blair before he came to power in the context of ireland said that seven days pre charge detention was completely against the conscience of the law that's seven days right and that was before he came into power Wow. Right? He was against seven days. And he, he was the one who was trying to bring 90 days in. So we have an environment where we're constantly sold by liberals this idea that as long as we build certain safeguards and human rights-compliant safeguards into this horrible legislation that exists that largely only impacts us, then it's acceptable. Mm. But w- when did we become a people that had such low standards of what we felt was acceptable to apply to us. And that is my huge problem with liberals in particular. I write about that in the book, but also elsewhere, that liberals help us to die a very slow death because what they do is that they, you know, effectively collaborate with the administration to give us a human human rights compliant version of our oppression.
1: So now, it's difficult enough, bro, to get our kids to read and be educated and come out of this whole entertainment industry, yeah, to put down the remote and pick up the book. Mm -hmm. Now, bro, what's made it worse is we have to now be checking the books now as well. Yeah. And the education system. Yeah. Bro, bro, is there a solution to that? Like, what what do we do? Because...
0: two things right um we need to read wider than we do because there are lots of people who are writing alternative histories out there uh we shouldn't just just because the big publishing houses are publishing um certain individuals it doesn't mean that that person is now the authority on the subject it means that person had the access and the privilege to be able to write that right but there might be a smaller publishing house that is writing an alternative history that's just as well evidence and probably provides a more accurate assessment of whatever that history is, right? Uh-huh. So there's, you know, there's lots of other ways of getting around it. I do recommend that people read the the, the literature that their children read, uh, because there is a lot of stuff in there that is obviously very wrongful-minded, and you have to be careful about what it is and how they interact with it and what it means for them as well. And you should be ready to have those conversations with them if you want to give. So. That brings me on to the point,
1: because what's very interesting is a lot of people don't know that the UK is actively um, supplying weapons to a lot of these countries that are supposed enemies, first of all. Number two, what was very interesting was that the UK actually allows certain citizens to come in and out of the country if they are participating in wars that are beneficial to the UK, and an interesting case was the Manchester attacks, where that guy apparently was allowed, and he, the MI MI five were in contact with him. Right. Now, this, bro, you touch upon this in your book. This, to the average listener, is like, what? Mm-hmm. No, surely, Britain is not allowing people to go in and out when there is a war of, war on terror. Internally, you've got to break this down, bro, because
0: I mean, look, this the, sounds like the hypocrisy. Is, the thing is, is that, that, yeah. that that's very normal. It's very normal. Like, at the time that John Bolton I he's a one off, literally, John Bolton's in front of the UN saying that Syria, Libya, North Korea, they're all part, part of the axis of evil, right? When he was the um, US ambassador to the UN, he's saying this they're part of the, this axis of evil. At that same time, the Americans are handing over the Canadian citizen Mahar Arar to the Syrian authorities to, to torture and interrogate him. So like they're making one big p- statement publicly, but behind the scenes in the war on terror, they're all cooperating that, you know, for um, the British people, you know, they, the, many of them will have a very strong memory of the killing of the police uh, woman, Yvonne Fletcher. Um, so yeah, in the 1980s, um, Yvonne Fletcher was killed by the Libyans and that like, uh, was somebody in the Libyan embassy and that, resulted in this very tense relationship between Libya and the UK for many, many years. In fact, Libya was seen as this kind of, like Gaddafi's regime, in particular, as this evil that could never be, you know, worked with. And, you know, hundreds of dissidents were coming in and out of the UK, many of them. So many Libyan dissidents were granted um, asylum in the UK, um, specifically with the intention to work against the Gaddafi regime. Um, But then Tony Blair enters into this weird relationship with Gaddafi at some point to do trade deals and so on and so forth. But then it came with a security deal. So now, next thing we know, we find out that Tony Blair's uh, government uh, or administration okayed rendition and torture of certain Libyans that the Gaddafi regime was interested in with the complicity of of um, MI six, and that a whole group of dissidents that were welcomed here to the UK to do anti-Gaddafi activities were now being labelled as Al Qaeda terrorists, and were being deported back to Libya under secret courts. So they are being de- deported back to Gaddafi. Secret courts. Yeah, we have secret courts here in the UK. Like you can't see the evidence against you. Yeah, we've had them since since the year two thousand.
1: Conspiracy theory, yeah. No. Shall I bring
0: the foil hat? No. This is this is the reality that people go through. But why have
1: I never had a secret court before?
0: Um. Not sure, bro. They they exist. If is it you, many, generally mainstream gen- media, yeah. Yeah, mainstream media talks about it. Yeah, I gotta say, even the Daily Mail did a campaign against uh, an extension of the laws that would allow for even more secrecy within the courts. But yeah, if you if you're accused, that's against
1: democracy, though, isn't it?
0: Yes, it is. Uh, If you're accused of uh, of terrorism uh, or terrorism related activities for certain types of offences not offences, for certain types of sanctions, like if they put you on a deportation order, if they try to extradite you from the country, if they take your passport away from you, if they remove your citizenship from you, if they take your children away from you, in any of these types of cases, the government can say, we want to present our evidence in secret. And the court uh, is obliged to uh, to listen to the government in a, um, or, or is obliged to, to hear out the government and if it's convinced that the government should be allowed to provide its evidence a secret, then you will be excluded from the room and so will your lawyer while the government presents evidence against uh, against you. You won't know what that evidence is.
1: Well, if it just goes to the judge, yo, we want to get rid of this guy. If you don't listen to us, mate.
0: Well, you have to just trust that the judge is being fair and honest.
1: Right. I think you've uh, answered my last point which is I was going to ask for solutions but mashallah you've intertwined it so well in what, you've been, uh, what we've been discussing throughout. I mean to put it very succinct, at the end of the book you mentioned three things, you, you say um, knowledge, mm-hmm. uh, communication and you say community. Have I missed? Uh,
0: yeah, I, I say there's effectively uh, three sites of of, of our, our resistance, right, To um, or three sites of disobedience. Oh, so okay. we should be disobedient in our language, so we shouldn't accept language about us that is inaccurate. Which so, is what we started with. So for example, like use of the word Islamist, for example, like we have a 1400 year Islamic tradition. The word Islamist does not come from that tradition. We should describe ourselves and phenomena that exist within our tradition, even if it's from phenomena that we disagree with. But we shouldn't allow for other people to use, you know, kind of language that suits them to mm. describe us.
1: Yeah, right? just don't accept terminologies like that.
0: Yeah, we should be disobedient in the, the way that they construct knowledge about us too. So we should construct our own knowledge. And we should understand the world from our own perspective rather than so like for example uh muslims are are a threat to society right they produce knowledge that 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 informs people about who we are we should produce our own knowledge to say well actually no we're not knowledge
1: meaning statistics or
0: data literature literature, everything right we should be producers of our own knowledge and the last one is that we should be disobedient through our communities and by that, it means coming together. It means actually working with one another by not accepting, you know, kind of false boundaries between one another about who is a good Muslim and who is a bad Muslim. You know, these kind of false binaries that are set up at a governmental level, right? We should actually be coming together and working with one another. Hmm. So
1: False binaries set at a governmental level. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting that you mentioned that. Do you mean in... In the sense of that's how governments identify us
0: Yeah, that's right Like, you know, the good Muslim is the pacified Muslim The the weak one, the one who, Ah, you know, um, rejects large portions of their faith And, you know, largely is completely secular in their outlook Mm. Right. So rejecting the notion that that is a good Muslim And that we are bad Muslims until we become like that We should reject that you know so it's important that we understand that islam is a communal religion it's practiced as a, as a, as a community we have other communities as well that we you know work with that we have friendships with and so on and so forth but ultimately you know we have um we have a bond that's that's based on a love of allah which is something that's just is remarkable when you think about it
1: uh, subhanallah jazakallah khair bro for a uh, very enlightening discussion and talk, where we have covered loads of things, and uh, if you like what you've heard, even if you haven't, get it anyway, and definitely do check it out. Don't be cheap and get the PDF because
0: <laughs> I don't know if there's a PDF out there, but
1: yeah, no, sorry, <laughs> it like... it's probably being made as we. <laughs> Inshallah,
0: none of the none of the profits go to me. Inshallah, everything goes goes towards Cage in the end. So, Alhamdulillah, you know, please. Uh, so it's a support. charity thing Inshallah Inshallah
1: okay. charity. Let's, let's uh, add some more reviews Purchase it Five star And more reviews Jazakallah khair bro Inshallah We will touch base again And uh, check the brother out I'll put your socials in the description inshallah. Mm-hmm, inshallah You're on Instagram Twitter mostly And Facebook yeah. Facebook But inshallah Don't forget to uh, like Comment and subscribe And uh, yeah We'll see you guys next time Inshallah Asalaamu alaikum